Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. All of us are familiar with the Christmas story. It has been told and retold in so many different ways that we are almost overly familiar with it. We've heard it so long, and we've heard it so much, that the glory and the wonder of what happened on that first Christmas night has almost lost its meaning. But there is meaning for that night beyond the night itself. For it is only because there was a first coming that there can be a second coming. Only because Jesus came the first time as a babe and lived a sinless life does He have the authority to come a second time to take His church and ultimately to come to earth in a second coming and to reign and to rule in a millennial kingdom. What is the meaning of Christmas? Why do we celebrate and put our trees up and our lights and wrap our presents and get all our gifts together and go shopping and decorate? Why do we do all of that at this time of the year? And is there meaning beyond today? Is there something beyond today, away from the manger? Is there something beyond this moment, beyond when we take the tree down and the lights down and put up the nativity set and all of that? Is there a meaning beyond today that we have? Well, I think there is. And I want us to talk about two advents, the first advent and the second advent. In the first advent, it was prophesied in Scripture that one would come, Messiah, that he would be virgin-born, that he would perform miracles, that he would be crucified, and that he would rise from the grave. All of that is foretold in hundreds of scriptures throughout the part of the Bible that we refer to as the Old Testament. The message that points to one who will come to take away the sins of his people. Then when we get to the Gospels, we read the story of Jesus Christ, God, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And I want to ask you to turn, if you would, to John's Gospel. John there summarizes five facts or five conclusions that we can make about who Jesus Christ is. Is he one of many? Is he just an option? Is he somebody to consider or is he somebody to follow? There are several conclusions. First one is found in verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The first thing we learn about Jesus Christ from John 1 is that Jesus Christ is eternal. He did not just come into existence in that manger. He is the eternal Son of God. Before the earth was ever created, He was co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. He lived and chose to come in the form of a man that we know as Jesus. But everything that ever existed and ever will exist came into being by the creative hand 
of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians that he was involved in creation. The second thing that we learned in the book of John is found in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made known through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus came to his own and was rejected. He was the one who had been prophesied about for hundreds of years. He was the one that the prophets had foretold would come and would be the deliverer, the savior of his people, the one that they had prayed for, the one that they had longed for, the one that they had hoped that they had told their children about. And yet when he came, they said, nope, that's not him. And even today, the Jews look for Messiah who has been around and present for 2,000 years. He came to his own and they said, no, the Messiah would not be born in a manger. The Messiah would not come from Bethlehem. And yet the scriptures said that that's where he would come from. He was of the line of David. He fulfilled all the prophecies. No one who had ever lived before or has ever lived since has ever fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament like Jesus Christ, and yet they rejected him. His very own people rejected him. They tried to kill him. They ultimately did. The third thing we learn about Jesus Christ in the Gospels is that he lived as a man among men. Verse 14 of chapter 1 and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. God's glory put in the capsule of human flesh, laying aside the manifestations of that glory, but not laying aside it. He came and he dwelt among men. He was tempted in all points as we are. He hurt like we hurt. He grieved like we have grieved. He longed for people like we have longed for people. He enjoyed life like we enjoyed life. All the emotions, all the feelings that man has ever felt, God became flesh to identify with us. He came and lived among us. He did not appear to be a man. He was not some aberration or some ghost. He became flesh. And God dwelt among us. That'd be great if all he were was a prophet or a teacher or a religious leader or a good moral influence, but Jesus came for another reason. The fourth conclusion that you draw from John's gospel is that Jesus died for sinners. Look, if you would, at verse 29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Paul would say that he died the just for the unjust. Jesus Christ did not die for his sin for he was sinless. They could find no fault in him. They could find no reason to accuse him. The only reason that they could get him to the cross was because they trumped up charges against him. And so whose sin did he die for? He died for mine and he died for yours. Jesus Christ died for sinners to take away the sin of the world, the sin that had been present since Adam and Eve fell out of fellowship with God and were tempted by Satan in the garden. Jesus Christ came to renew our relationship with God the Father like God had always intended it to be. And then there's the fifth one. Jesus 
is coming again. Acts chapter 1. If you would turn to Acts chapter 1, please. Acts chapter 1 and verse 11 tells us that Jesus Christ is going to come to earth again. You know, we prefer the lowly Jesus to the Lord Jesus. We prefer that babe in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes that seems innocent and helpless because somehow we know we can control a baby. But it's the Lord Jesus who wants to dominate and control us today. And there's coming a day when he's going to come again. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. At his first coming, he was veiled in the form of a child. At his second coming... He will be recognized by all. At his first coming, a star marked his arrival. But at his second coming, all of heaven will be lit with his glory. At his first coming, wise men and shepherds brought gifts. At his second coming, he comes to reward his church. At his first coming, there was no room in the end. But at his second coming, all the world will not be able to contain the glory of God. At his first coming, a few came to see. But at his second coming, every eye shall see and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. At his first coming, he came as a baby. But at his second coming, he will come back, not as a baby, not as a carpenter, not as a good teacher, not as a prophet, not as a deliverer. He will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. His first coming, his second coming. Now let's distinguish for a moment between the rapture and the second coming. I know you didn't come prepared for a little theology lesson this morning, but let's put our theological caps on for a minute. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that there's going to be a time that we know as a rapture, a catching up in the air. Jesus is going to come at a time not known to man. No one knows the day nor the hour. At the rapture of the church, Jesus will come in the air. He will not come all the way to the earth. And in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the church, those redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, those bought by the blood, those forgiven of their sins, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, will be taken away from this earth in a moment. It is what theologians refer to as the rapture of the church. Once that happens... There will be a period of time known as the tribulation. And in the last part of that tribulation, all kind of chaos and death and devastation and destruction will take place on this earth. Seven years after the rapture, there will be the second coming of Christ on earth. When he comes to earth again, not in the air, but when he places his feet on this earth again, he will bind Satan. He will establish his millennial kingdom. Sin will be judged. Satan will be cast. And righteousness will reign on the earth for a thousand years. Ed Henson says, we should not be surprised that many people don't believe this. 
that great spiritual confusion abounds today. Liberal theologians suggest that there will never be a literal return of Christ. Jehovah's Witnesses claim he has already come secretly in 1914. Mormons tell us they are the only true Latter-day Saints, and the Unification Church affirms that Sun Moon is the Messiah. This is all predictable because Christ said it was going to happen. Matthew chapter 24, turn there if you would. Matthew 24, I want you to see that this is no surprise in heaven today that people either deny the fact that he comes or they say someone else is going to come besides the one who's coming. There's going to be a second coming, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 5. Matthew 24 and verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. There are many people today who may even be acknowledging Christmas. They may even be acknowledging the birth of Christ, but they have been misled into thinking that somebody beside Jesus Christ can save them from their sins that doing something or being involved in something or baptism or being a part of a church or joining some group that says he's already come or some group that says we're the only ones that are it or something like that is going to get them into heaven. They are being misled. Look at verse 11, if you would, Matthew 24 and verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Verse 14 gives us an insight as to when this coming will happen. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We don't know when the rapture is going to take place, but when it does, the church is going to be removed and sin will run rampant. I do know this. We are all living in the last days. Now, it may be a moment, it may be a year, it may be a decade, it may be a century, it may be another millennium. But Acts chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 1 tell us that when Christ came, he initiated the end of the age. The scriptures tell us that the end of all things is near. Revelation 1.3 says the time is near. There's going to be a coming of Christ. Now, why is he coming? Three reasons. First of all, to fulfill scripture. To fulfill scripture. He came as a virgin-born child. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He shed blood for the remission of sins. He was in the grave for three days like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days. He rose from the grave. He appeared to his followers. He ascended into heaven. Why? Because he had to do all of that to fulfill the scriptures about Messiah. He will come again, first of all, in the rapture in the air to take his church. Secondly, in a second coming to earth where Satan is bound and where sin is cast out and righteousness reigns and he rules in a new heaven and a new earth for a millennium. Why? To fulfill Scripture. Why will Jesus come? There's a second reason. To judge humanity before he sets up his kingdom to judge humanity before he sets up his kingdom. You see, you and I either come under the forgiveness of God or we come under the judgment of God. 
We come under the forgiveness of God if we believe what he said about Jesus Christ, his son. We come under the judgment of God if we think there's any other way to salvation except Jesus Christ. And so he will come to judge humanity before he sets up his kingdom. Humanity must be judged and dealt with for its rejection of its only way to salvation. Thirdly, to bind Satan and his cohorts. To bind Satan and his cohorts. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 19. And I want to read an extended passage of Scripture, if I might. Revelation chapter 19, which tells us something about that coming that is on the horizon. It may not be on our calendar. We may not put it in our daytimer, but there is a day on God's calendar when this event is going to take place. John saw it in a vision. He wrote it down for us to see and to understand what would happen at some point in the future. And after the rapture and then in the coming of Christ, Revelation 19 and beginning in verse 11, let's read please. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Look at verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone." And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Look at verse 1 of chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Oh, we prefer the slumbering baby to one whose eyes are a consuming fire. But there's coming a day 
Just as sure as you and I are in this building today, as sure as you are breathing and alive today, there is coming a day when He will come. His name is the Word of God. His name is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And He will come and deal the death blow to sin and to Satan. And He's going to change the world for all eternity. There's going to be a binding up of the strong man. There's going to be a casting down of Satan. And there's going to be so much carnage when God moves in and deals with sin that he'll have to send birds to eat the flesh because there won't be enough land to bury those who have rebelled against God. Mary Elizabeth Ashcroft says, we can tiptoe past the drowsy baby as we buy stocking stuffers for little Susanna or an electric lint remover for Aunt Phyllis we can forget African children dying, belly swollen and flies swarming around their eyes. But it would be ridiculous to try to sneak past this Jesus, his eyes aflame. We would squirm when we gave that cute little Christmas mug to Betty at work, knowing that we were just waiting for the right opportunity to tell her about Christ, knowing that she would one day face those blazing eyes. Now, how do we live away from the manger? What difference does all this make? That's somewhere out there in the future. Why should we worry about that today? We should worry about it today because the event before that event, the rapture, could take place before we leave this room. And so there are three things that I want to suggest to you. First of all is that you need to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. First Peter tells us that he appeared in these last times for the sake of you. What does a manger have to do? What does a nativity scene have to do with today? It has to do with the fact that you today, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, need to know him and can know him. The greatest gift you'll ever get. It's a one-size-fits-all. Whoever you are, whatever your need, however bad your sin no matter what your past, no matter what baggage you bring with you, no matter what kind of stuff you've done that you say, I'm not worthy of it, He has appeared at these last times for your sake so that you might know Him as Savior and Lord. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a second thing. You need to walk with Christ by faith. John chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You need to walk with Christ by faith. You see, the hope of his coming, the idea that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back is great motivation for us to live in holiness and righteousness and to live the kind of lives that God wants us to live. Let me ask you to turn, if you would, quickly to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. For there is a reference there to how we should live and how we should walk in light of the coming of Christ. This removes that saying that says, well, if I'm once saved, always saved. If I get saved and I've got a home in heaven, then I can live however I want to. It doesn't matter how I live. It does matter how we live. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence 
and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Thirdly, you need to surrender unconditionally to his lordship. You need to surrender unconditionally to his lordship. Let me read you words out of Second Peter chapter 3. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Step away from the manger today and look up toward the sky and get an image of who Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who will come with a sword in his mouth and his eyes blazing like fire and ask yourself the question, away from the baby, but to the Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, am I ready for his coming? In the fullness of time, he came as a baby but except for a few shepherds and some wise men, the world was not ready for his coming. There's going to be a day when he's going to come. He's not going to send a news bulletin through the news media and announce it so you have time to get ready for it. He's going to come in a moment that nobody knows. And so you and I on Christmas Day, a day when God's holiness came and dwelt inside of flesh, you and I on this day must step away from the manger and look up at God at who He is and what He has done for us and ask ourselves the questions, am I ready for His soon coming? You say, well, I just can't believe all that stuff. All that stuff about the second coming is, has always confused me and mystified me and, and I don't understand it. I don't understand. All, I just have to see more before I can believe it. You know, that's what a lot of people said when John Kennedy announced that he was going to make sure that America put a man on the moon before the end of the 60s. People all over America said, I won't believe it till I see it. Just can't believe it. Don't have enough evidence. Don't have enough facts in. There's just, just not enough information for me to make a, a valid decision on that. I'll just have to wait and see it before I believe it. And then in 1969, we sat around televisions, millions of Americans, and watched as Neil Armstrong placed his foot on the moon. We saw it, and then we believed it. There's only one problem. All you're ever going to see is right here. This is all the information you're going to get. This is all the information you need. And if you can't make a decision based on what this book says about who Jesus Christ is and what you need to do with him, then there's no other information that God's going to give you. For he has come one time. He's not going to come again except in judgment or to take his own. Some of you have had family coming in this week. 
They probably came to the back door because family always comes to the back door. And you may have turned around and said to your husband or to your wife or to your kids or to your parents, look who's here, look who's here. Well, folks, there's going to be a day when there's going to be one fleeting second just before your feet lift off this ground and go to be with Jesus when you're going to turn to a brother and say, look who's here. But it's going to be too late to say to anybody else, would you come with me? Because the day of invitation and opportunity is today. It will not be in that day. That day, everyone's fate will be sealed for eternity. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Kent. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.